everyone. Welcome to the LB School and Library Podcast. I'm Amber Mercado. Today we have a creepy treat just in time for the Halloween season. Our guest is Andrew Nance, the author of Odd Occurrences, Chilling Stories of Horror from our Christy Ottaviano Books imprint. Andrew Nance had a 25-year career as a morning radio DJ. Today, he spends his time writing and acting on stage in historic St. Augustine, Florida. He is the author of Damon Hall and Return to Damon Hall, Evil Roots. We're so happy to have him here. Welcome, Andrew. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. First off, happy pub day. <laughs> yeah. Woohoo! Thank you for taking the time to be here. I'm sure you have a lot of celebrating to do later on. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited to have you on the show. I loved this book. I'm a huge fan of short story collections and middle grade horror. So this was right up my alley. Plus, I thought it would oh, be cool. extra fun to have a podcast episode because there's a podcast in the book as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit more about Odd Occurrences? Yeah, uh, Zeus, his, his real name is Jesus, but everyone calls him Zeus. He's 11 years old. Um, he's a pretty cool kid. They live in a, a coastal Florida town slash city, kind of a uh, small city, um, which is where I live. So I kind of based it off the city that I, I live in as well. And uh, he and his best friend go to this, this carnival, Carnival Nocturne. And I don't want to give away too much of the book, but they... They end up being captured by these evil entities and Zeus escapes, makes it out. But his best friend Tobin is stuck inside and everyone in the real world, the outside of this carnival, they forget that Tobin even existed. But because Zeus was in there with him for a short period, he does remember his friend and he enlists the aids of, of Tobin's sister. And they're trying to get the. Uh, uh, you know, Jana's the, the sister, her brother back, and, and Zeus's best friend back. And they come up with a plan. They would start a podcast, and it's aimed at kids who experience supernatural paranormal events. And they would call in, and they would they would tell their stories, and that would be uh, the podcast. They'd stream live every Saturday night, and then the podcast available 24-7 after that. And with each of these podcasts... Uh, as part of the intro and, and middle of the podcast and out, out, outro as well, uh, Zeus would say, if anyone has seen this carnival, Carnival Nocturne, to please call this hotline. He wants to find the carnival and he wants to try to get his, his friend back. So that's that's the basis of the, the story that ties in all the other stories together. Yeah, and I, I loved how you weaved in this larger story into the other ones with the podcast. I felt like I could hear the podcast and while I was reading it and you talk about how the odd occurrences podcast has a little theme. Do you have a little jingle for it or in your head? I was wondering. Oh yeah. I'm a lot of it. Um, I had all kinds of things going on. I, you know, kind of streamlined it down because writers like me tend to, I go overboard in, in details and explanations and stuff. So usually my second draft, I start cutting out the things, streamlining it. But I kept a few things. Uh, talk about stingers, which are these short little 
little bits. So you're talking about something scary and you want to punch it. You might have a boom, boom, boom that you play after it. But uh, the podcast theme song, uh, and I actually recorded it. So give me a few seconds to try to bring it up. But uh, oh, the theme awesome. song is is actually a um, actual song. It's called The Funeral March of a Marionette. It's kind of a cool title. But it was it was written, I think, probably latter part of the 1800s by a, a French composer. Uh, was it Gounod, I think his name is. But when I was a little kid, there was a TV show that used it as its theme song. It was Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And for those who don't know, Hitchcock started out as a movie director. He made really mm-hmm. scary films like Psycho and the Birds or uh, these really suspenseful movies like North by Northwest and Rear Window. Well, his TV show featured a, a different story each week, thrillers or mysteries or horror. And then, But that was the theme song. Here we go. And uh, I thought it would make a great theme song for odd occurrences as well. So here's what it sounds like. But another reason, another reason that Zeus and Jana chose it is that it's a copyright-free song. It was written so long <laughs> ago that there's no copyright to it, so that means they could use it without having to pay a, a copyright fee. And and all these small podcasters, I talked to some some as I was writing the book, they go online and they, they get to Google and they do copyright free songs and composers will write stuff and, and post it and let them use it without having to pay a fee. Yeah. I remember I took a podcasting course in college and I remember having to scrounge around looking for royalty free, oh, yeah. copyright free music and sound effects. Yeah. I love you. you let me ask you, Quay, you took a course. How'd I, how'd I do with the podcast? <laughs> I, I the think book. you did really good. That was one of the parts I loved about the book is how you God. included like all these tips and tricks for recording your own podcast. And oh, cool. I chalked it up to your radio experience. <laughs> well, you said that you really helped. Podcasters. That, that helped. I began. I guess my first radio job was all the way back in 1979. And then uh, professionally, I did it through summer of 2001. Um, but you say you took the podcast course in college. I also volunteered and worked at a, a local college radio station here in St. Augustine from 2001 till last year. And uh, But in my career, I did all kinds of formats, but talk radio was one of them that I I uh, was program director for and, and podcast are like modern day versions of talk radio. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same equipment, except for the, you know, the AM or the FM transmitter. You got to have that studio outfitted for you know, decent sound quality, you got the microphones, mixing boards. And then of course you're going to have the guest on, you got to have some way to communicate with. And when I was in radio, it was usually telephone. And now it's all this online stuff like, I'm talking to you online. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Podcast. So when you referenced the moth in your book, I was like, oh, I know that. 
Yeah. Moth, TED Talks, all that great mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. So I thought that was um, a really neat uh, part to have and probably a, a really good asset for any young readers that want to. I feel like everybody wants a podcast nowadays. So. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going on a friend, another one uh, that is a friend of mine here in town. It's a pirate broad, broadcast or podcast, so I'll be going on that in a couple of weeks. If you asked podcasters for some help, what other types of research did you do for the book as well? Yeah, so the the main story we you know talked about that was that was the gist of the po- uh, research for that was just talking to people who do podcasts. A lot of the individual stories needed research, some more than others. I've got one historical story in there, and it's my favorite. It actually goes back a ways. Uh, takes place during World War II in, in Warsaw, Poland. So when you're doing a historical story like Sophia's Golem, the historical part has to be accurate. Um, even if it's fiction, you're making up the story, the backstory or the facts of the story, they have to be accurate. Uh, a reader comes across something that's that's not accurate in the story, it's, it's going to boom, take them right out of it. So Sophia's Golem is a horrible time because the Nazi army occupied the city of Warsaw, Poland, and a terrible atrocities were taking place. People being shipped to concentration camps, being executed. It was it was really bad and because it was so serious. That's another reason that you have to really strongly research it to make sure you get the, the facts of that, that era accurate. And, and I can give you an example how if you get one little thing wrong and someone can catches it, uh, it can actually blow the, the story for and And this took place to, to me yesterday. I was getting my car worked on, and uh, the shop is within walking distance of a movie theater. It's going to take a couple of hours, I thought. So I said, I'll go see a movie. I wasn't sure what I was going to see, so I just kind of randomly picked a show that was starting at the right time. It was an Agatha Christie-esque murder mystery it was a comedy and it took place in 1953 and it was really well done it was cool uh there's a a movie director gets murdered in london and uh, the the main detective he's working on it but he gets no support from scotland yard because there's even bigger crime spree underway which is multiple murders and the commissioner is talking to explaining why he's not getting all this help he says well we have a, a serial killer on the loose so this is supposedly took place in 1953, but the term serial, excuse me, serial killer, no one came up with that. It was in 1981 that it was first used. So that's all, you know, that's that's like almost 30 year difference. So that took me out of the movie. It's like, bam, all of a sudden I'm going, that's not right. I'm going to research this when I get home. And it kind of ruined the movie for me. Uh, the, the people from the mechanic shop called me about 45 minutes left to the movie and I went ahead back over and, and and got my car without seeing the end of the movie. And the main thing that ruined it for me was that one fact that was incorrect. So it's very important to get that, that stuff done. But you're, you're asking about other research. Um, some that of the other fun fact though, I did not know that. And I'm going to use that fact about serial killers was used. Invented yeah. They, uh, it was in the sixties. They came up with the term, serial murder murders but they weren't identifying them as serial killers yet it was in 1981 that 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 first came into play with the with the fbi so that's that's a cool thing about being an author you're always doing research and you 
some of that stuff sticks in your head. But uh, for some of the other stories, I talked to people who like escape rooms for the story, escape or else room. Um, I uh, used the internet to find out about the urban legend about black eyed kids. Didn't know much about it, just heard a little bit of it. And it was pretty cool when I got into it. Uh, researched the art of graffiti and graffiti artists and uh, nomadic unemployed people who rode trains across the country in early part of the 20th century. Uh, for a story in there called Emperor Bull. Uh, I wrote one about pediophobia, had to research that. And a lot of people have this, this phobia I to a high that. level degree. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, de- it depends on what it looks like, but it's it's the fear of dolls. Mm-hmm. And I got that story, the doll room that goes into that. And and most people, have, you know, it's mild, but some people just, it terrifies them. Um and then there's one other fear that's even more more people suffer from, which is cholerophobia, the fear of clowns. I want to write a story about that one in the future. <laughs> Odd occurrences, too. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> um, yes, that doll story very much creeped me out. And you have it pop up a couple times, and every time <laughs> unsettled me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, that was fun to do. I want to... You know, I was uh, talking with my editor, Christy Ottaviano, and she said, other than the podcast, it'd be kind of cool if we came up with something that, you know, tie the stories together just a little more, something that's subtle and random. And if you're not really paying attention, you might not notice it. So I came up with the, the, the creepy doll that shows up. And if you'll notice in the oldest story, which is Sophia's Golem, it's, it's, it's in pretty good shape, but in the newest story the doll over the years gets more and more beat up and cracked and all that so that was that was fun to do <laughs> i was paying attention <laughs> very good well yeah you're a professional <laughs> i really much enjoyed how different each story was and how they um yeah. were each creepy and spooky and a mix of like you said historical and modern I used to work as a bookseller and I always got like kids, parents, teachers asking me for, do you have anything scary? Kids were always like, I want something scary. And I'm so happy we have this book out now because like now other booksellers and I can just recommend. Please do. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, when I was a, when I was a kid, you know, I started off with, the scary movies, you know, I loved all the old black and whites, uh, the Frankensteins and Draculas and all that. And so then when I started reading and I started reading pretty early age, probably uh, steadily in third or fourth grade. So I'd start looking for the books that would be named for kids that would supposedly scary, but uh, it was, it always turned out to be a friendly ghost or a poor misunderstood monster <laughs> who just wanted to be liked so about fifth grade, I started going through my dad's uh, bookcase and pulling out his books and reading some of the some of the really scary stuff, and uh, and so I really liked that. And so that's that's one of the things when I'm writing for kids now, scary stuff. I want to give them good scares. I want to give them sincere scares. So I try to make it as spooky as possible. And why do you think kids? long to be scared and want such you know spooky and scary books i you know i really don't know i've heard a lot of theories 
you know, the psychology of why certain horror movies are popular at a certain time in history. Um, the alien invasion uh, movies are really big during the 50s, first half of the 60s. And some people say it's it's tied into the fear of communism or the, the Cold War, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know how much I put into that. And I, I don't know why exactly kids like to be scared, but, but you're right. But it's funny because it's not all kids. And I, I think scary stuff, whether it's in books, TV, or movies, they're a lot like my favorite herb, cilantro. People who like cilantro <laughs> really like cilantro. And those who don't, don't even don't even wave a sprig over their food. They want nothing to do with it. So it's kind of like that. But there are a lot of scary things, real scary things out in the real world, which is not fun at all. But when you have these fictional scares with monsters and ghosts, uh, you know, proverbial things that go bump in the night, the reader or viewer, they can enjoy those while still being safe. And uh, so there's a lot, a lot of that to it as well. You know, I can still be safe while, while being scared. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it for me. I am not a diehard from birth scary person. <laughs> My yeah, mom yeah. watched Freddy Cougar. And then he invaded her dreams and she oh, yeah. off scare like horror from then. So then we did not watch a lot of horror in my house after. I, well, I, I love the like I said, the old the old ones. I don't like the real gory movies, mm-hmm. but I will sit through a gore movie if there's a good story to back up, back it up. Just off the top of my head, I think it's called 30 Days of Night is a good example of that. Great story. Uh, a little more gore than I usually like, but I, I'll, I've watched it a few times. Horror movies where they do that jump out at you for no reason, just, you know, mm-hmm. that instant scare. Oh, boom. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like those that much. Mm-hmm. I like a good story with my, with my scary stuff. Yes, I agree. So now I've learned to find the ones that have a little more oomph to them. And exactly, I'm- yeah. Torturing me for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Then just to scare me. (laughs) Um, And I think I I enjoy them, like you said, because like I can enjoy the fear, but no, I'm I'm like still okay. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, And can release that feeling. Maybe the same thing goes for some kids out there. They can be exposed to maybe a creepy doll or two or (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, you know get that practice <laughs> with uh, the unpleasant feelings of the unknown and the spooky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Oh, sure. Now I do have a question for you that Zeus and Jana always ask their listeners how they would handle things if they found themselves in an odd occurrence. So I asked the same of you, what would you oh, do? Oh. Well, what I do and what I hope I do might be different things, but uh, you know, I hope I'd approach it calmly. But you never know about how you you're going to handle something until it does. You get that fight or flight kicks in, and you know, you don't know which one you're going to do. But a lot of times, when something weird happens, it's really over before you realize what had happened. And I've actually had two two surefire odd occurrences take place in my life, and it was one I pretty much laugh but but both the real weird things took place when i was in high school uh one of them when we saw a ghost over and i 
I mean, we saw it over a period of almost eight to 10 minutes. And That's a pretty long time. <laughs> yeah, we, when I had a real tight group of friends who we went junior high and high school, and we're still friends to this day. And uh, before we all got our licenses, we walked everywhere. And we, one day we found this dirt road, which was almost invisible off the main road it was on. And uh, walked down it about a quarter mile down, there's this old cabin. And we were talking old and we went inside and it was an old doctor's office, had all this medical equipment. And then they had a, a bookcase and the roof had kind of opened up. So the books had been exposed to the elements and they were bloated, but one of them we got open enough to read and it was over a hundred years old. And so uh, we got our licenses and stuff. And one night around midnight, just for fun, we, we drove out there. And as you go in, the headlights illuminated the cab. And then the guy who was driving, Chris, he does this U-turn, which illuminated this, this kind of open lot to the side of it. And we saw this pine tree that had fallen over. And then he turned around and he pointed out, we turned off the car and we were sitting there in the dark and just talking and stuff. And uh, there was actually six of us and he had a station wagon. And one of the girls with us, I remember this, she goes, there's somebody back there. And we looked behind the car and on that, that pine tree we'd seen falling over, there was this figure sitting on it. And he had no fa features to his face. He was he was actually glowing luminous, luminous, uh, very subtle glow to him, but enough to be seen. And I, I remember he was wearing these pants and you could actually see the glow coming through the, the fabric of the pants. And so we see this figure and there's that famous statue, The Thinker by Rodin. And that was the pretty much the posture he was in, sitting on the, the fallen tree, uh, had his chin and on his, his fist, sitting there like that. And it didn't move for three, four minutes. And we kept trying to think, you know, what is this? And we finally decided someone either made a dummy or he got a mannequin, painted it with Dayglow paint and set it out there as a practical joke. So, I was in the back seat at one, one door. My buddy Brian was in the back seat at the other door. We said, we'll go investigate. We opened the door, got out. And when we got out, that, that figure that was sitting there, it shifted, it moved. It's, it, it moved its chin from one hand to the other hand, but still in that thinker position. And it was that point, everybody screamed. Brian and I jumped back in the car and closed the door. Uh, the guy who was driving, Chris, was our football star at our high school. He was like 6'4", 220 pounds, and it was all muscle. He was screaming as much as the rest of us. And in those days, the dashboard, the ignition was in the dashboard, and he had taken the key out. So he's stabbing the dashboard in the dark, trying to find where the ignition is, and he keeps missing. And at this point, the figure stands up, and it starts walking really slowly towards the car and we're probably about 20 yards away from it so and he finally gets the car started and he's panicking he forgets which knob is the head he forgets which knob is the headlights and it's super dark out we can't drive out without the headlights and so he starts pulling knobs off the dashboard throwing them over his shoulder into the back seat smack brian really good in the head with, with one of the knobs he pulled off from the radio and and something that i sticks with me to this day we're talking you know, almost 50 years ago, was he accidentally turned on the windshield light. And so I, 
the, the, the sound of the, the wipers going across the dry glass sticks with me. It got up almost to my door, and he finally found the lights, and then we took off out of there, just bouncing up and down that road. But Brian and I, you know, how do you, how would you behave in an odd occurrence? Uh, we were giggling. It was just, just panic, <laughs> panic laughing is what it was. And then just real quickly, the other thing that took place, and this was around the same time, we recently got our licenses, so we drove everywhere. And there was a fame. This was in Greensboro, North Carolina, but and there was a, a famous hotel there, which was named after the famous short story writer O. Henry. And it had once been a lavish luxury hotel, but now it's kind of seedy at this point in history. We're talking about 70, 1974, 75. And we're riding around one day, me and my buddy Wade, and we're on the radio. We're listening to the AM radio, which is about all the cars had back then. And they're, they're talking about all those fire trucks and emergency vehicles at the O. Henry Hotel. There's this horrible fire that's, that's taking place. They're, they're battling this blaze right now. So we cool, let's go down and watch them fight the fire. And we drove down there and nothing was going on. It was, the hotel was fine. There were no fire trucks, no police cars, nothing like that. So we figured you know, someone had pranked the, the radio station or something. And the next day, the O. Henry Hotel caught on fire and can't explain how that happened. And that was just kind of weird. And I always, I always theorized being in radio that maybe somehow the AM band at just the right time or whatever had, had traveled back in time for whatever reason got or forward in time or whatever. But I, I can't explain how that happened. Maybe, maybe. Thanks for <laughs> sharing that with us. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know a lot of people don't believe and I take that uh and in all the respect in the world because uh i have nothing against people who don't believe <laughs> well while we're talking about odd occurrences i have to say from one of my favorite short stories was the emperor bowl story oh thank you yeah um i really enjoyed it i i Enjoyed learning all the lingo um, from for graffiti art. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, like you said, I like the historical aspect, but it also felt kind of modern at the same time with the. Yeah, it was, it was kind of full because I'm bringing back mm. you know, the group of characters from the 1920s and then you've got the, the protagonist from the, the contemporary era. So, yeah. Yeah, I like the clash of like, what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and I I just love it when kids in in my stories just just break out and act heroically. And there's the the big chase scene on top of the train that's you know speeding through the night, and I just just the image of that I just could envision it so perfectly. I uh, uh, yes, my, you my graffiti artist. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was cool. And I actually got the ideas in early stages of the project. My wife and I were out for a ride on the, you know, on the big old motorcycles and we were out for a ride one day. And sure enough, the get to a train track and the, the warning bar comes down, the lights start on. So we got to sit there you know, five minutes while this humongous train rolls by. And I start looking at all these cars that have graffiti on them. That's, that's how I came up with the idea for the story. And I was on the edge of my seat 
the whole time because since these are short stories, Great. like you I, I don't know. know how they're going to end, if they're going to continue, if there's going to be a cliffhanger, and you've got a mix of those throughout this collection. So I was like, I need to know how this is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> I once I once now. left a a story <laughs> unresolved. This was in the another book I had written called Damon Hall, but I I rewrote a, a popular urban legend at the time and it's uh, the babysitter who's getting phone calls from the 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 crazed killer and uh, enlists the aid of the the operator who's going to trace the call and at the end you find out that the, the killer's in the same house as the babysitter and i rewrote it back when chat rooms were popular and had it taking place in a chat mm -hmm. room and i i ended it there i didn't say didn't say Say whether babysitter got away or whether the killer got her, and I got so many angry emails. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? You didn't tell us what happened. Not everyone's a fan of an open ending. <laughs> yeah, but but that story, that story is just—I grew up with that that urban legend, and you <laughs> you can't say one way or the other with that. Um, did you enjoy writing in the short story format or was there a certain for, uh, a shortened story you wanted to expand into a novel or you just like want, you just knew from the back? Um, this one, no, it was, I was fine with the short stories. And in fact, to my way of thinking, and I, I know, you know, it literally and in the nuts and bolts that they're, they're short stories, but to my way of thinking, Odd Occurrences is a novel, but it's got these embedded stories. In it. So that's that's how I think. I know they're really short stories, but I like to approach it from that standpoint. So I think even though uh, they may not be related in any way other than being on the same on the podcast, I, I still like to think of them as as, as related stories. Um, that's a good way to look at it. Um... As for Zeus and Jana's story that weaves together this collection, I will say you put uh, Zeus and Tobin in a roller coaster of emotions and me as well. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you came along for the ride. Yeah, I mean. I will say, listeners, I, it's well worth it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It's, uh, you know, it's. You, you try to feel what they would be going through and you try to express it in, in the writing. It's like, you know, people love adventure movies. They love adventure books. But when you find yourself living an adventure, it's a different story. And, and pretty much that's, that's what happened to them. So they're, you know, they're facing all kinds of, uh, like you said, emotional roller coaster, fear being amongst them. Uh, sadness, regret, uh, angst, and then, of course, joy and happiness as well. Mm -hmm. I work with books a lot, obviously, and I discuss some of them with my friends, and I was just pitched this one to one of my friends as a quick hypothetical, <laughs> as if this were happened to us, if I was Tobin, <laughs> <laughs> and I disappeared, and no one remembered, and you remembered and everyone else forgot what would happen and <laughs> what would you do and now my friend no longer wishes to talk to me about the topic <laughs> because it put her 
through such an emotional turmoil because they are a very dear friend to me and they were like, I wouldn't be able to function without you. It was nice to hear. <laughs> but Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Some of my friends have been, well, I've been good to know you. See you later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's, I think that's kind of a, a fear as well that, that mm-hmm. you, you start becoming, you know, people fear that they're insignificant to the point of being totally forgotten. So that was, that was something I kind of intentionally uh, latched onto as well when I was doing the, the forgetting them thing. Yeah, so that's, that's I think, a significant fear. And then also there's, like, Zeus has kind of, like, a survivor's guilt throughout the book as well. Yeah, he's uh, he's using his head. He's a, he's a thinker. And his good friend Tobin, he's more of a... Uh, more of the, the, the physical guy. He's, he's more of a reacting to, to stuff. He's... Uh, and he's he's kind of based off several friends that I've had. I think I describe him at one point as uh, this wiry guy, and you know, in one moment he's cool, and the next moment he explodes into to manic action. That's that's kind of how I put him put him in there. I kind of drew him from several several people that I knew. I know I'll be much more weary of carnivals in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I want to point out. Uh, odd occurrences, and and I put it in the acknowledgments, but it's a, it's an homage to Ray Bradbury, great writer, not only of novels, but he did a lot of short stories as well. And anyone who's read a lot of Bradbury, if they read Odd Occurrences, there's going to be a, a couple of times where they're going to stop and go, oh, Bradbury. Oh, that's nice. I've only read like one Bradbury story. so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, when I was in, I guess it's fifth grade, one of the books I snuck off my dad's shelf was Alfred Hitchcock's book. And I, I don't know if he actually got the stories or if someone else got the stories and then they published it through his name, but it was an anthology of various uh, horror authors. And one of them was Ray Bradbury, who, it was a chapter from his book, Dandelion Wine. And the, uh, it was just so frightening. And the, the, the way he built the suspense in that slowly build, 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 build. And that final sentence in the story was just so profound. And it's, it's called, I think there's a short story. It was called The Lonely One. Great teacher. She Every Friday, she'd have a student bring in a short story to read. And so I brought that in one time thing. I mean, it was you could hear a pin drop in that class as it got close to the end. And then the bell rang, like with about two paragraphs to go. Normally in you know, in a school, the bell rings for the end of the day, kids are up and running. Everyone sat there and they said, finish it, finish it, finish it. And when she got <laughs> to the final line, the uh, entire class erupted and screamed. I'm going, wow, this is awesome. Wow. That sounds like a great memory and a great story. I got to look that up. <laughs> you'll uh, you'll read it and you go, oh, odd occurrences. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you'll a great see where I got the homage from there. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, Andy. I'm so glad you took the time out of your day to talk with me. Well, I want to thank you for having me on my book release day. And I, I hope <laughs> all the, the people out there who like to read will pick up a copy. 
if you like a good scare in, in your pages, uh, make sure you, you pick it up. And I do have a, a website, andrewnance.net. And after you read it, if you just send me a little message, let me know what you think of it. And if you have any ideas of what you'd like to see in the future coming from me, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Yes. Once again, that's andrewnance.net. If you want to send him a message, please do. And Odd Occurrence is available now wherever books are sold. <laughs> so go out there and get it. And it's just in time for the Halloween season. Perfect pair, but it works all year round. Because who cares? You can have Halloween in July. <laughs> I hold, hold Halloween in my heart 365 days. Thank you for joining us.